You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis. I won't go through the litany of places I've written. I've written in a lot of places. We'll leave it at that before I started running this podcast where we are approaching 500 episodes. Hard for me to believe. Uh, if there's anyone out there who's actually listened to all 500, hit me up on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. I'm just curious to see if that exists or not. But uh, if, you, if you're if you there, if you've listened to 100 episodes, thank you. If you listen to one episode, thank you, honestly. I appreciate it. So we actually have quite a bit to talk about on the show. As I was laying this one out, we have the game today, which has some historical importance. Uh, sure, there's not a lot to talk about in terms of what actually happened outside of Shane Bieber's greatness, but we want to take a look uh, at some late-inning decision-making, point out you know, the three stars of the game for the Indians, talk about what Shane Bieber is doing in the early going of the season, uh, addressing the information that came out about the trade deadline. We know when it is indeed going to occur. Talk about the Yu Chen Chang situation. Um, it, it's something we have to address. You cannot ignore what he posted today on social media. If you missed it, we'll get to that. And then, depending on time, we'll look at the all-time ninth round as well for the Cleveland Indians, as I've been getting some positive feedback on that. Uh, it's kind of fun to go through the, uh, the looking glass, as it were. So let's start with uh, Shane Bieber and his ridiculousness. Third straight, third straight start. Bit of a tongue twister there. Uh, with 10 or more strikeouts. Because he did that, he has become the sixth pitcher, joining uh, Garrett Cole in 2018, Rich Hill in 2015. He is definitely, Rich Hill is the, which one of these is not like the other in this group. Uh, Rich Hill, side note, like fascinating. I remember when he was a top prospect, flamed out as a starter, figured out as a reliever, came back as a starter, pitching into his 40s. Really interesting pitcher, just in general. Uh, Randy Johnson in 2000, Nolan Ryan in 1973, and the first one to do it, uh, Sam McDowell, so that in 1970. So while Shane Bieber is one of six pitchers to do this, he's not the first Indian to do it. He's not the first Cleveland pitcher to do this. It's uh, it's kind of funny in that regard that it's such a small group, but there are two Cleveland Indians pitchers in there. In some regards, I'm kind of surprised that Kluber isn't, just because of those high years of dominance by him. Uh, if he can get... 10 strikeouts next time. This is something to watch for next game. He'll set history. No one has done that in their first four starts of the year. So if he can get another 10-plus strikeout game, he will be the first pitcher in Major League history to ever do that in their first four starts. That's impressive. This whole game was impressive. Nine innings, three strikeouts, one walk, one hit by pitch, top of my head, so hopefully I got those all right. Uh, Jumping over to the box scores to talk about it. But what a performance against this White Sox team. 11 strikeouts. Uh, I mean, he's your star of the game. There's no doubt. I, I don't know how I feel about 113 pitches. That's a lot in the early going of a season. Um, I know he's cruising, and you just, you're just letting him go out there. He even had a pickoff in this one. And what more can you say? <laughs> like For anyone who was stressing after the first start of the year, I hope they're like, oh, yeah. That wasn't needed. He's just uh, you know, simply the best. 
better than all the rest, right? Like we can just leave it there. You don't need me to, to go any further in that. But uh, I, I believe right now that is where we are with him. James Karinchak with his first save of the year after going to Class A the day before. He comes into the situation where they have that runner on second. Does not allow anyone to reach. Gets a strikeout. Still has not allowed a earned run this year. Uh, he is clearly one of the other stars of the game. And I think your, your third star, as it were, has to be Roberto Perez. Uh, one of two hitters to reach base twice in this one. It's him and Eddie Rosario. And let's talk about one of those times he reached base, because this drove me bananas. So he walks against Giolito, and they take Giolito out after this. So now you're facing Evan Marshall, who, then he, I mean, he got them out of the, the bases loaded jam the day before, but he's still the weakest of those back-end arms for them. I mean, he's someone the Indians let go. You can probably find me, like, railing against him during his time in Cleveland. But Perez reaches... You've been struggling the whole game to get base people on on base on not on base well yeah on base. So what do you do? You got Roberto Perez too, who's not a good runner, who's glacially slow. So you sacrifice him to second because you know what happens when you get Roberto Perez to second on a single he still doesn't score, and on a double he still may not score. Uh, you're not getting Roberto Perez to second is only. Like, someone has to really hit the ball for this to matter. Uh, you giving up an out to get someone that slow to second base doesn't give you anything. It's it's just giving away an out. And to make it even worse, you're doing that so you can bring up your fifth, sixth outfielder, a guy who still doesn't have a hit, a guy who has the worst hitting statistics on the team, a guy who would proceed to go 0 for 4 or 3 strikeouts today, and Ben Gamble, who has just looked... I mean, it's gotten to the point watching him play where I'm like, okay, go back to the the Luplo experiment. Let him bat against uh, right-handers because it can't be worse. I mean, like, this is what we're running out there. Why are we not using Daniel Johnson? I understand it's there's not a minor league season right now. Is he really, really getting more reps down at the alternate site? But, again, two thought process here that just make my mind hurt. One, a sack bunt to move up a base runner who isn't going to score on a single anyways. So what's the point of that? You're giving away an out for a guy who can't score on a single. And then the next guy up is, and of course you have him still hitting leadoff because the rule is your center fielder has to hit leadoff. I mean, I know it's it's an antiquated rule and I really wish that Major League Baseball would change it, but because they started the year with, with Luplo playing center field, now your center fielder has to hit leadoff the entire rest of the year. That That's the rule, right? Because if that's not the rule, then there's no logical sense to have Ben Gamble hitting leadoff. It is mind-breaking that they're like, no, let's, let's keep him there. Why? What does he bring? This is a guy who has not been a productive hitter. When they brought him into camp, I talked about how it's been a while since he's really, truly been a productive hitter. And, okay, so you throw out the 2020 data, which actually was better than his 2019 data. And all of his data for his career shows him to be a below-average hitter. He's a platoon guy at best. Highest OPS uh, for a season happened in 2017. So that's a, a bit ago where he was not a platoon bat that year, in fairness. But he has another strong season next year, pretty much strictly as a platoon hitter. And then after that, he's been a below-average bat who's a below-average defender in center. 
Ben Gamble getting these center field at bats. I am just sitting here rubbing my forehead like, why? And then why lead off? But I mean, this whole it's it's so frustrating because it doesn't make any sense. Gamble lead off, and then like I said, the set of plays. Great, Roberto Perez is continuing to have a good start to the year. He walks. We have a runner on base. Finally, Giolito's out of this one. We got a chance. I know Jimenez isn't hitting, but let's just go ahead and get an out so uh, we can move a guy to second base who can't score on the single so we can have a guy who's the worst hitter on the team up. That's perfectly fine. Let's just go to two outs with, with Cesar Hernandez there. Let's just move to that, and that inning ends. I mean, the whole decision-making in that one, and just the decision-making, again, there's no reason in the world you have Gamble hitting leadoff. It just it's a it's bad lineup construction. It's a bad roster construction. Uh, another rough one for Jose Ramirez in this one. Back to back games, all of a sudden his OPS has dropped like two because it's early season, small sample size, but a two hundred point drop in the early going between these last two games. Hopefully he will start to kick it up very soon. But nice thing is Eddie Rosario's had these two strong games. Roberto Perez continues. Roberto Perez has the second um, second highest OPS of any ev- everyday player. Luplo is technically higher. And Fran Mill, unsurprisingly, with his hot start uh, against the Tigers, is the highest. But Roberto Perez, a uh, bit of a silent killer so far. And we'll have to see if he can keep it up. Again, go back to that first half of 2019. If you can get first half 2019 Roberto Perez, he is worth more. He's a steal. And you're getting not just like gold glover, high end gold, yeah, gold glove, high end performance, but you're getting a guy who's going to be good for 25, 30 home runs. I mean, that's, that's amazing. He all of a sudden becomes one of the top three catchers in baseball. If he is first half 2019 before injuries got to him. Now the problem have been injuries in 2019 injuries in 2020. Will the health be there? I don't know, but if he can stay healthy and he can, be that version this is huge for the indians uh it's it's more than found money it's a found all-star it's it's getting a guy who's going to be uh at a premium position doing premium production both offensively and defensively and of any development in the early going this is what i'm most excited by because you know it's like having in football the elite high-end tight end there's only two or three of those guys and they make a huge difference because it's hard to cover them you have to specifically game plan for them, but most teams don't have that. When you have that catcher who's a threat, that just changes your lineup completely. And for the Indians, you know, that this is a situation where they could be, fingers crossed, walking into that situation uh, for the rest of this season. Have you been to Bilt Bar recently? There's always something new on Bilt Bar. Let's go there right now and see what is new. I feel like every two to three days you go there, you're going to find something brand new and interesting on the Bilt Bar website. How about the new Built Bar Boost? Uh, limited time order right now. Strawberry Guava Boost. Uh, I've been using kind of the basic boosts every day. Uh, I did order the root beer one because I'm a bit of a root beer fanatic. But uh, it, it's okay. I think I prefer more the basic ones. i got to be honest. The, you know, the, uh, the lemon one is the one I prefer the most so far. It's just, I mean, lemon always goes well in your water. And it's for me, I finished my morning coffee, which is honestly in a giant cup. So I'm drinking about three to four cups of coffee. I'm transitioning after that to the Built Bar Boost. And it, it's another great way to get some energy and also to get vitamins and all that great stuff. And 
that's what's one of those things with Built Bar. There's just so much there to get. Go get a mixed box. Find out what you like. Find out what's for you. BuiltBar.com. Remember to use that promo code LOCKDOWN15. It's all good there. Go check it out. Everything's great. I enjoy the products immensely. Promo code LOCKDOWN15. Save that 15% over at BuiltBar.com. Locked on uh, today. We'll probably talk about that Shane Bieber start. What a start. What a game. Go check it out for yourself with host Peter Bukowski. All the news you need every day. Locked on today. So, <laughs> so you know I'm back from a commercial. I had been fading that out a bit, but apparently I'm bringing it back. Uh, you know, we talked about the game. Uh, again, the performance is high there. I did get a, a question on Twitter from DB Sice asking what's going on with Brian Shaw. Now, I don't have all the... Velocity has been up a little. Yes, he asked about that. Specifically, why has Shaw been so good in the early going after being, uh, I mean, left for dead since he left Cleveland? Uh, one of it is, I think we learned an important lesson, never go to Colorado. Uh, I mean, I've had some good visits there, but if you are a pitcher, Colorado is death. Just don't go there. Why is he successful so far this year? It's small sample size. Let's be fair and honest about that up front. Things can very easily change. It is weird that his max exit velocity is low, but his average exit velocity is good, uh, 84 percentile. But here's where it really gets. His hard hit percentage, the number of times he is getting hit hard, he is at the 99th percentile, so no one is hitting him. He is not getting hit hard at all. Chase rate is high, which is good, because when guys are chasing, that is often, I mean, I, do I have to explain why chase uh, hitters chasing at pitches is a good thing? 93rd percentile, whiff percentage is 87th percentile. Expected batting at 78, K percentage at 60, expected ERA 56, uh, barrel percentage, walk percentage, not as good. Those are high 20s and 30s. But right now he's being effective because no one's hitting him hard and guys are chasing his stuff. So I would say with the chase, the average miles an hour on his fastball uh, is 93. It's nothing super high. But I would wonder if he put in some work and there's maybe more spin or more tailing action guys are chasing that pitch more i don't know if it's a secondary that is a secondary offering that is causing that but i i don't think it's necessarily a huge jump in velocity just looking at the data again very small sample size so i could end up being very wrong but looking at the information that i have that is provided for me i think it's more pitch movement he is fooling guys right now i don't know if that's going to be able to continue but as of now i think that is why shaw has looked really good in the early going uh Let's see, I was trying to see if there's anything else. Just me <laughs> interacting with Adam Lieberman, because if you missed it, Julian Merriweather has been awesome as a closer for the Blue Jays. I don't know how much I expressed on this show, because he's already traded out of Cleveland at that point. I mean, Julian Merriweather, the season he was traded to Toronto for Josh Donaldson, that could end up looking like one of their worst trades, honestly. And I loved Merriweather. I had him in the top 10 that year, and he was a fastball slider guy who was getting up to like 96, 97. And I had some debates with Liebs, very uh, well-intentioned. We had Liebs on the show in December. You might remember that was one of our, our video podcasts. Uh, he was like, no, he's a starter. He's a big guy. He's just got a starter's mentality. I'm like, he's got a really good fastball and a slider that I think the fastball could play. Well, he has been, finally someone has listened to me. Toronto's put him in the bullpen, and he has been awesome so far in the early going this year. Uh, right now, again, this has the potential to be maybe the worst trade the Indians have made uh, in the last few years, the Merriweather for a month of so-so Donaldson and no postseason advancement tied to that one. I I'm always fascinated by guys like him, though, in general, as he, like Joey Wendell, we talked about, has a 
who's on pace to be what the greatest sixth round pick I believe all time in franchise history. Merriweather is another senior sign type. That's you know those senior signs. Uh, sometimes you can find value in them, and when they overperform, it's really interesting to me in general. But that was that. The other news of the day uh, before we get into the Yu Chen Chang stuff that the trade deadline is indeed confirmed. Ken Rosenthal that it would fall on July thirtieth rather than the thirty first. They're still going to have that 4 p.m. Eastern deadline on the afternoon. Uh, games aren't scheduled to take place so uh, during that time, so no one's going to be on the field uh, as the trade deadline hits. So instead of being on the last day of July, it's the second to last day. Not the 31st, but it is the 30th this year is going to be the trade deadline. 4 p.m. Uh, is the, the deadline. Uh, is there anyone else? Like I remember very distinctly as a child, staying up to hear who was going to get Randy Johnson and falling asleep for the midnight deadline to, to hear that he was traded to, um, was what I, part of me was like, no, he was not traded to Kansas city. It was, it was, man, now I got to look this up. Cause I'm like, it was Gil mesh and Jason Halama and Ozzie Guillen, uh, Houston Astros, right? That was, that was it. It was Houston. He went to in that trade. Uh, I'm now looking it up to confirm it, but like, I kind of, you know, there's always the sadness when the things we experienced go away and it's like, no one's going to remember staying up super late anymore to get it to work. It was, I thought it was more than three players in my mind that he went to the Astros, but it was just, I don't, uh, Freddie Garcia was not Gilmesh. That was another deal. <laughs> I don't know why I thought Gilmesh was involved, but it was just Freddie Garcia, Carlos Guillen and John Halama. Uh, now I've got to figure out why I have a Gilmesh. Uh, I know he was with the Royals, and then he was must have been with uh, Seattle as well, right? Uh, Seattle to the Royals. That is my connection there uh, <laughs> to figure that one out. Uh, signed as a free agent. Well, there you go. Gilmesh, though, not part of that trade. Uh, just pitched with uh, Halama and Garcia. So maybe that is my thought process. He was a first-round draft pick out of uh, Acadena High School in Lafayette, Louisiana. So uh, a little bit off the beaten path for that bit of information. But yeah, it's kind of sad just to see that go. Uh, more from, I think it works better. Uh, it, it's an easier thing. It's better on reporting. But uh, I, I miss, I miss you know, having a Saturday where I sat around and did nothing and watched three rounds of the draft. And then on Sunday, watching the next four rounds as a kid, I, th- th- that went away. You know, I, I, that was something I really enjoyed. I miss staying up late for the trade deadline. Uh, but everything's now in a TV-based world, so I get it. I get it. I'm a dinosaur. I'm turning 40 this summer. My uh, my approaches and uh, things are just the uh, old man get off my lawn. But that's what I knew. It's what I grew up with. It's what I still kind of love. Uh, that's just me, though. So let's talk about something very much less lighthearted, which were the racial uh, attacks. I mean, there's no other way for it on Yu Chen Chang after his... I, again, he made the right call. You go for two. You try to get two outs in that situation. The throw was unlucky. He absolutely made the right call. And again, if you're an idiot attacking him for that throw, he was one of two players to reach base in that game twice. So he was one of the strongest offensive impacts. Yes, they did not have a lot of them, but he was part of it. So he has a strong offensive game, has a freak throw. They lose the game. It's early going. It's one game. I'm not going to read the tweets that people sent out uh, because they were racist. You can go find it. Yu Chen Chang tweeted and showed it. 
everyone who sent those has since deleted their profiles. And I know people get upset about this idea of cancel culture and, and like going after people or letting their jobs know like, hey, they called this guy, blah, 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 blah. But like, if you're going to be a tough guy on the internet and call someone a racial epithet, if you are going to use a derogatory slur, uh, you should back that up and uh, realize there's consequences for your actions. End of story. You know what? I don't go around calling anyone any of those words that they posted. Uh, I am a teacher. I am a public figure. And I have always known, go look at my Twitter. I, I, there's almost no swearing. I'm very cognizant of that because, again, I know what my job is and I know that I'm a public figure and that, that, that I need to be extra aware. I try to make some jokes from here to there, but I always try to keep everything above board. Uh, we had one guest drop an F-bomb once on the podcast and just cut it. It was easy to do. I try to keep things family-friendly because I'm aware and alert. If your first response, because something like what happened in yesterday's game is to throw a uh, a derogatory term at someone, that's not just something you did randomly. That comes from a place of, you use that term. That term doesn't just come out, oh, I just wasn't thinking and I was mad. <laughs> in a baseball game, one of many, when you go and do that, when you talk about someone's eyes and that they're because of the way their eyes are is why they couldn't make the throw. That's not something you pull out. That is something you're saying because you're a racist jerk uh, and you're an idiot. And I applaud you, Chin Chang, for calling people out. Same way I, I applauded Miles Garrett when he did the same thing when he posted because there should be consequences. Uh, again, it's Twitter. There's a lot of I've had many a nasty experience on there. We all have, and we shouldn't have to stand for that. We shouldn't have to be insulted. And I'm lucky. Because I am a white-looking dude. My family is uh, from Lebanon. That's where my great-grandparents came from. My grandparents did not uh, did not speak English originally. That's something they learned as, as first-generation people in this country. Uh, but I look like a white dude, so I don't get the worst of it. Like That's just the truth of the matter. I, when you are a lady or you are a person of color, you get so much worse from certain demographics, unfortunately. That demographic is often people who look like me. And I think it's important to call people out on their junk. We This can't be acceptable. It cannot be something that we tolerate. And uh, good on you, Chen Chang, for shining a light. And there should be canceling of people who have those views. I do, If I owned a business and I found out I had an employee who like thought it was okay to go in a public forum and throw those words at someone, I would fire them. I would not want that person representing me. That's just, that's life. I I do have points with stuff, and I know cancel culture is a hot-button issue, but if you're going to immediately, in a long, long baseball season of all sports, and do that, that says a lot about you as a human being. And to clarify, you shouldn't do it ever, but in a baseball season, because of its length, it makes someone going out and doing it just bizarre, in my opinion, uh, on top of, again, being a racist, idiotic jerk. Now that I've said that, let's move on. (laughs) Quick break. I'm sure our sponsors will love me for going from that to the break. Uh, So remember to stick around, talk some all-time ninth round. If we have a full amount of time here, I'm going to kind of see where we are after the commercial break. 
If not, I'm going to just see what's there on Twitter, do some interactions, have some more fun talking about the game. We'll be right back in one moment. But let's bounce now over to Bet Online as we do, and let's go see what the line is for tomorrow's matchup for the Indians. Uh, we're just kind of going down the line, trying to spot it out in here. Come on, this can't be another one where they are uh, not listed. Is it too close of a matchup? That's That would surprise me. Maybe I just can't uh, read. No. Uh, that very loud noise is brought to you by the fact that Bet Online uh, views tomorrow's game as a as a push. They're not uh, putting lines out for the Indians matchup. A little bit of a surprise. Bet Online, though, they've been good. I questioned. Uh, I thought so far I have missed both of the first two games in this series. Bet Online has been correct in those games. So don't take it from me. Take it from Bet Online. Uh, when you go to bet online, remember to use that promo code locked on to get your 50% welcome bonus. That's right, 5050%. That's the highest percentage we have ever had on anything you get from an advertiser over here. Just remember, go to bet online, check out the lines, the casino games, all that stuff for yourself. Use that promo code locked on, get yourself a 50% bonus. So I want to take a second here and apologize if there's inconsistencies when it comes to the quality of this episode of the podcast. My computer went into sleep mode and then would not come out of sleep mode for about an hour. And uh, by not come out, the reason it eventually came out was uh, I did a full restart, recovered this file, and, well, we'll see how it goes. It is approaching 1 a.m. my time after fighting with the computer. So, um, yeah, just going to be honest with the listening base. Uh, Not in the, uh, the the best mental state after uh, such a battle to uh, do my best high-end performance on the podcast. We're not going to really have the time to dig into the ninth round. I did want to take a second and say, you know, off the top, it is better in the eighth. It is nowhere near as uh, bad as the tenth. The eighth and the tenth are clearly the worst ones ever. Top of this round, though, is it's it's Luke Scott, who is also the most productive outfielder the Indians have drafted in the 2000s. Uh, really interesting when you look at him, because they take him, he gets drafted in the 45th round in 2000 out of Oklahoma State. The Indians take him in the ninth round in 2001 out of Oklahoma State. And it's interesting in that regard, because he ends up ending his career in Tampa. And, you know, it, his Last year is actually productive at age 35, but at that point he was a DH only. 11.8 war for his career. Now the Indians traded him for Jerome Robertson, a guy I was excited that the Indians added him. The numbers weren't good, but I mean, he was a lefty who won 15 games. That's what I was, you know, he got rookie of the year votes. That was my thought process back in 2004. You know, pitcher wins, that's what matters. Uh, He was not good. Uh, couldn't miss bats, walked guys, gave up home runs, had a lot of... I mean, ooh-wee, it's... <laughs> you look at the data, like, why would you even attempt to add this guy? That's how desperate they were for pitching, and it's how badly pitching was evaluated. Uh, they got him to Cleveland, and he gets 14 innings, and that's the end of his major league career. It goes that poorly from hit, for him from that point on. It's It's kind of ridiculous that... <laughs> that was it. He's done. Gets votes rookie of the year, and then he's out of baseball. Uh, Luke Scott, why did they trade him away? Well, at age 25, he had barely gotten to double A. He was a senior sign, 
He had uh, like a, a good but not great uh, OPS and high A when he's like almost three years older than the average. Gets up to double A. The OPS is under 800. And, I mean, that trade happens in 2003. He doesn't get to the big leagues until, uh, let's see, like 2005, I want to say. So, yeah, in general, I mean, it's it took him a while to get there. He still had a few more years. And then he came up, and he was a solid producer <clears throat> really consistently from age 28 through age 35. Like his one down year, uh, 2011, age 33, and 90 OPS plus, a 700 uh, OPS. Other than that, he was consistently an above average to well above average bat, typically around a 110 WR, uh, OPS plus. Strong production. Now he only had three, four seasons over 100 games. And because he was a senior sign, it took him a little bit. He did not really hit the big leagues full bore until he was 28 turning 29. So he had a short window. And again, that short window is still the greatest outfielder the Indians have produced in the last 20 years in terms of just production in terms of war uh is a guy who didn't hit the big leagues full time until he was 28 years of age yeah that that just speaks to how bad of a dead zone outfield development it has been before you know uh we say good by the podcast now, Luke Scott was a guy who, I don't even think we have his signing bonus listed yet. He's, he's too far back. Uh, if you're curious who's next up, we'll just run through the positives today and then kind of do more of that deep dive, as it were, uh, later on. And uh, apologize for inconsistencies and in sounds. Uh, my computer is really giving me issues here this evening. So, I uh, again, sorry. Uh, Luke Scott, 11.8. Next highest, 2.3 to Dustin Moore. Yes, the outfielder Dustin Moore. Again, didn't really play with Cleveland, but ninth round pick in 97. Vic Alberry, 1965, which is the first draft, right? Isn't that 65 is the first year of the draft? Yes. He has your third best one at 1.7 in three games. Or no, I'm sorry, 101 games. He was uh, listed as a first baseman here, but mostly ended up as a pitcher. Uh, Mike Armstrong didn't sign, 72. He'd be next. Next up, James Karinchok. So Karinchok should be second on the list this by the end of the year. I don't know if he'll get past Luke Scott because reliever, like a good year by a reliever gets you two war. It's going to be a few years before he, he gets up there. But, I mean, he could. He's going to need six very strong years to move up these ranks enough to uh, to take over the top spot. Next, Thomas Pannone in 2013. Chris Beasley in 84. 85, Luis Mendia. 68, Larry Johnson. Sean DePaula, I thought he was going to be a big part of the Indians' bullpen future. 96, 95, Mike Edwards, uh, Vic Coral in 67, Preston Gilmet in 2009, Brett Mer- Merriman in 88, and Tommy Gregg, who they did not sign in 81. Most games in the bigs in this grouping, that belongs to Luke Scott, followed by Dustin Moore, then Tommy Gregg. Uh, players with over 100 games, that's all Barry the previous four mentioned, and Mike Edwards. Again, not the strongest of groups uh, across the board here. Karen Chalk has a chance to be the star. I mean, he does. He could be someone who uh, accumulates enough value. Five biggest contracts, Will Bartlett from 2019, Brian Eichhorn from 2018, Alexis Pantejo from 2014, James Karen Chalk in 2017, Hosea Nelson in 2016, but he is also Jordan Smith, Jordan Cooper, 
2011-2010 are tied with Hosea Nelson. Uh, Thomas Pannone, who I mentioned previously, would be your next guy on the list. I mean, there's five guys tied at fifth, so he's at eight. Clayton Cook, who... And I thought he had some ceiling. I remember Clayton Cook back in the day. That's that's it. Is at nine at one hundred fifteen thousand. Chris Nelson one hundred and twelve uh, in five hundred in two thousand four. And then you know other name of note is Jared Godert in there. And then your low end signings. Jacob Lee had a good run in the minors for a guy who got two thousand five hundred. And then Devin Stewart uh, twenty fifteen for five thousand. Uh, another low end guy. We'll kind of get into the nitty-gritty of this round uh, at a, on tomorrow's show, if we're being honest. Uh, it's, man, I remember when they took Devin Stewart, and I was like, it's an odd pick. And after taking him in uh, 2015, he was out of the system before the end of 2016. That was a senior sign, take a peek and let him go. Whereas Jacob Lee... I mean, he stuck around the 2017 after being uh, drafted in 2012. Nice long run for him, at least. But yeah, that's that's the beginning of the ninth round. Thanks to Luke Scott and James Karinchok. It's definitely going to beat the eighth and the tenth, but uh, not quite as good as some of the other rounds that we have discussed, uh, nor should it be when it is talking about around that late. See, I'm already going long. Uh, this is Jeff Ellis of the Locked on Indians podcast. Again, sorry, technical difficulties go lower. But uh, I want to thank you all for listening, reading, and reviewing. I hope you enjoyed today's show. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. And for the next year, maybe two, go Tribe.